enough of you, LA Meekly boys, three times in a month. What are you, a normal podcast? This is something you're all going to love. Okay, let's just say what we're introducing right now. We have a very special interview we got to do. We had the honor of doing with Charles Phoenix. The Charles Phoenix. The Charles Phoenix, which is something we have like fantasized about doing for nine years now Mm -hmm. and this is the thing never just thought to ask him oh no (laughs) the way it came about was that our video i was trying to get like people who would be interested in to watch our video and just on a fluke i sent charles phoenix a message on instagram and i was like hey we did this you mind you know check it out i think you'd like it and he's like i want to be on your show and he even brought up in this interview of like all you had to do was ask. Like it, all, it never hurts to ask people. You never know what they're going to say. We are opening the door for everyone now. A line of people outside of his door. So just send a message to Charles Phoenix. He will officiate your wedding. <laughs> he will bar mitzvah you. Like you were saying, we've been thinking about this for. This was like on the like the long list of like well, dream we guests. Get, yeah, dream guest. If we ever get hot enough, then we'll get right. the attention of yeah. Then Universal Studios will pay yeah. us to interview. And uh, we we just had to yeah. we said. Brought to you by United Artists, we interview <laughs> an interview with Charles Phoenix. But what 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 can you say for those who don't know Charles Phoenix? What can you say about the man that is Charles Phoenix? I mean, he's obviously more than a man. I think he goes by the is it the King of uh, Kitch? Kitch, yeah, the yeah, King, the of, king Kitch. of Kitch. Self appointed, he slew the the Duke of conservatism. <laughs> he, he's just the real deal. He's like a mid mod pop icon uh, who completely stews in the thing that he's trying to present. Okay, so not only is he maybe the most unique LA history person out there, but yeah. he the depth and breadth of knowledge yeah. he has about anything relating yes. to Southern California is it's mind blowing. Yeah, it really is. It's uh oh you you must mean the pancake house right, right, that right. was on this corner, this corner that opened from this time to this time. And he could like recite the entire yeah. menu of any restaurant mm-hmm. you might have once heard of in Los Angeles. S- staggering. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable. The knowledge. We icebergged them. We touched the tip of the iceberg where we're like, oh well, let's just let's just see how much he knows no, knew everything. By iceberging him I I thought you meant like we like he was the Titanic and we were the ice. He hit us at three in the morning and and, uh, he fell down. We ruined his career. His his career is somewhere (laughs) at the bottom of the Atlantic (laughs) because of us. But we're still standing. We were just minding our own business. We're still out there waiting (laughs) (laughs) for the next unsinkable pop icon. If you uh, don't know who we are, if you're coming just for Charles Phoenix, we do a monthly podcast on Los Angeles history. L.A. Meekly. I guess you might have known that by now. Some people might call us. <laughs> you might know us as LA Meekly. <laughs> you don't. But uh, you can follow us, you know, listen to our show. We do it every month on different things of LA history. What more can we say? You're here already. You love us. If, you're, yeah. if you've made it this far, you're hooked for life. We just yes. icebergged you, baby. <laughs> and you're at the bottom of our, the Atlantic of our hearts. <laughs> James Cameron is going to make a movie about you someday. Uh, enjoy Charles Phoenix. Enjoy him in this. Enjoy him in anything he does. Mm-hmm. You're in for a treat with this fellow so now enjoy our interview with the great the unsinkable (laughs) charles phoenix Um, is that a Piggly Wiggly sign behind you? It is not. This no? is a um, one of my favorite treasures. Um, I'm going to actually uh, put it right here so you guys can see it. This is Summer from the L.A. County Fair. He is the mascot that was designed for them um, in 1947, I think. And then this is the 1956 version of him. Okay. And he is done by the same company that maybe you can notice the difference. I mean, notice the similarities between him and... Big boy of Bob's big boy. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're they're like Just this is Bob's big boy off. at the pig. His rich cousin. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's a standee. And uh, they actually gave it to me about twenty five years ago at the fair. Uh-huh. I'm doing a book. Uh oh, now I oh I can't turn around. Oh dear. <laughs> There's so much stuff in your background that I'm not sure if it's real or like digitally inserted. That thing is digital. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nothing is digital. It's all real. I'm just going to keep this here for a while. Yeah. For anyone who can't see, he is holding up what I don't know if is real Oscar Mayer pure beef franks or a picture of Oscar Mayer pure beef franks. This is a piece, a little advertising piece from 1968. Oh my God. And I just got these in the mail. I mean, you know, I'll tell you. I, I just think, am I a hoarder or what? I, I'm beginning to like wonder. It's like, you're not a hoarder if, then, okay, in order to be a good collector, you got to be a great editor. <laughs> that could be the blurb for this that, episode. That was taught to me by a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant collector. And, you know, everything needs to have its place. I mean, it's not just like keep moving everything around. That's just a waste of time. Everything needs yeah. a place. Well, why are we talking about that right now? I'll shut up. <laughs> let, let you guys talk. I just want to add real quick before you jump in. Uh, I think a curator is, is only a little bit better than a hoarder because they know how to organize. And then that might be the yeah. fine line. Well, there's also the editorial, you know, right. it's like what's worth protecting and what's worth leaving out to the wolves or to the weather. <laughs> weather wolves, yeah. What is the art museum if not a rich hoarder's house? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, I often like when I travel, I go to smaller museums, not the big museums, but the smaller, more homespun ones. And those are where kind of I tend to thrive in <laughs> Uh, the situation of the museum world. You were going to ask, Greg, just the general question of who Charles Phoenix is. My general question is, <laughs> who is Charles Phoenix? I've been a big fan of yours for a very long time now. Your Southern California book was like a staple in my household. And then I, I had the opportunity to see your uh, retro slideshows, which was fantastic. one of the best shows I've ever been to. And I just wanted to have you talk about that a little bit. Thank you. Well, you know, um, I'll just, I'll, I'll make it short, sweet. Short, sweet, brief, and to the point. I was born in Ontario, California. My dad was a used car dealer. My mother was a, a happy housewife. So I kind of grew up a creative type. I was bad at sports. And uh, I decided after, as a result of watching the Sunny and Cher show, which was a variety <laughs> show on CBS in the early 70s, into the mid 70s, and I Love Lucy, that I wanted to be a fashion designer. So that all worked out pretty well. But in the meantime, when I was 14, I was sitting in front of the television and my mother said, you know, no more lazy days in front of the television. I'm going to sign you up to try out for a show at the local community theater. So I went down there and I tried out for the local show in the community theater. And they said, you can be in the show if you have a cowboy shirt. And I said, well, I don't have a cowboy shirt. I guess I can't be in your show. And they said, no, go to Leroy's Boys Home thrift store across the street and you'll find a cowboy shirt so you can be in our show. So I walked in the thrift store and I said, okay, I think I'm going to like it here. And I started thrift shopping. I mean, it was the perfect place for me to study the underbelly of our mass consumerism culture, the perfect place for me to realize this is a museum of merchandise and a school of style, and I paid attention. And I thrift shopped constantly until I was 30. But when I was 19, I moved out to LA, and uh, everything was working out just fine. Um, I became a fashion designer downtown. I went to Fashion Institute downtown. Mm -hmm. And I was good at drawing and crafting. So that's kind of fashion designing and, and all that. So that all worked out well. But then I decided that I wanted to buy and sell classic cars and the fashion industry was too pretentious for me. <laughs> I buying and selling classic cars. But when I was 30, I was in a thrift store and I was just, I just had one of those out of body moments where it's like, I stopped dead in my tracks and the voice inside said, stop thrift shopping. Stop, stop, <laughs> stop thrift shopping. And so I, I thought, you know what voice inside? No, this is a true story, by the way. I swear mm -hmm. to you. I said, voice inside, you're right. I have thrift shopped enough. I need to kind of evolve away from this. And uh, in that, I said, just five more minutes, though. <laughs> and this is really true. In that five minutes, I found something in a shoebox that changed the course of my life. And that was a box of Kodachrome slides and the box mm -hmm. of my trip across the United States, 1957. And so I was already kind of predisposed to like the kind of vintage stuff. And already the 50s, that 50s style was already, you know, vintage in uh, the early 90s, for sure. And I just kind of liked it. Kind of I Love Lucy kind of gave me a, you know, a really a big take on all that. And, and just yeah. growing up in Southern California, listening to my parents' stories and everything. So it was all like, trip across the United States in 1950s. It was architecture, it was cars, it was attractions, it was fashion. It was all the things that I was really interested in studying. So I began collecting other people's old slides. And uh, I started having, six years later, I started having um, slideshows in my living room. Oh, well, actually, no, before room. that. Six years later, I, I had a slideshow at the California Map and Travel Center in West Los Angeles. And that started my slideshow career. I mean, it just, it's, it started me 
being a performer live on stage. And pretty soon after about six months, somebody said, you know, people would pay for this. And I'm like, good, because I could use some money. And I started charging and I've been doing it ever since. So now I've taken my big retro slideshows live online. I've also, you know, I, I kind of meander between lots of vintage Kodachrome slides, of which I have a huge collection now after 30 years of collecting. And I, I also include in my shows often me going to places that I've seen in the slides and what's the story of them now. Oh, wow. And then not only that, but like while I was, you know, in search of this place, I found this, this and that. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, um, we're looking through the layers of time. That's what I love to do. I'm really interested in the evolution of American pop culture. I'm really interested in the evolution of everything. And there's so much evolution. There's so much evolution. Everything is like fashion. You know, it's like everything yeah. just continues to change, 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 change. But there's this like kind of this arc of time, which basically now we call, because it's hip to call it that mid-century. Don't right. say like 1950s. <laughs> or I mean, you can probably get away with saying like 70s party or whatever. But right. it's kind of like not in style. And style, it's so weird how we all kind of culturally perceive sociology and culture and all that. So saying like, oh, it's so 1950s is not in, but saying mid-century is. Yeah. So I just, you know, use the words that are appropriate, mid-century in this case. I love mid-century style. I mean, and that encompasses so much. So many style guides, you know, blossomed and became style guides in that era. And at the core of it is like, I am a child of Disneyland. Right. So at right. the core of that mid-century, yeah, you've got your Tomorrowland futuristic <laughs> style, which is kind of a cool style. But you've also got kind of these layers of nostalgia in there too, and a little bit of like kind of like the travel um, adventure land, traveling to faraway places. And you've got your frontier land, you've got your fantasy land, old world whimsy storybook, yeah. Main Street USA, the core, the backbone, the spine of every town there is in the United States. Yeah, that's my my brain is just like you know I organize it like Disneyland is organized. <laughs> that way that i live my life is organizing my brain like disney like Walt disney <laughs> i i saw a uh, an interview you had done or a segment you done with kct where you were talking about a tour you do in downtown and relating everything to disneyland i'm like oh my god he's right i, oh did, my god. I did from 2004 <laughs> to 2000 i think 14 maybe or whatever i did do this thing called the disneyland tour of downtown los angeles where i said we don't have one disneyland we have two the parallels <laughs> between downtown los angeles and disneyland are unbelievable so at that time um well when i was doing the tour we started at Union Station and we took the monorail, I mean, the train, the gold line to Chinatown. And we did a whole thing in old Chinatown. Have you ever been to old Chinatown where it's yeah. like that little plaza from 1938, which is yeah. like you're in a theme park. Have you ever yeah. been in there? Yeah. 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 So we went there and I mean, you know, I could go on and on about the details there. And then we went to Alvera Street, which is kind of a cross between Main Street USA and Frontierland and <laughs> Adventureland all rolled into one. And Clifton's Cafeteria was open then. And that was before it had kind of crossed over to the reality that it is now. Cafeteria was like, you know, Frontierland meets, you know, like, um, what else? I, I forgot. I, anyway, I could go on and on. But Bob yeah. Baker Marionette Puppet Theater was Fantasyland. So we did <laughs> a lot. Tomorrowland. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Which part of downtown LA was Star Tours? <laughs> well, I mean, we didn't have a Star Tours, but the, the I'll tell you, the Walt Disney. I mean, yeah, the Walt Disney Concert yeah. Hall was the castle. Yeah, it I was. See that. It is. It was just an interesting parallel, and it basically worked. I mean, I'm not really explaining it that well right now, but in the context of this six-hour tour. We basically, you know, we saw the attractions of downtown LA. I mean, many attractions, you know, it, it was fun. So yes, the Disneyland tour of downtown Los Angeles, I did do that. I was going to bring up that the first time I became aware of you was when uh, the, and I feel like I bring this up with every guest we've ever had on, but the the holiday show at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, you had done a thing years back for it. And I remember that like, you like made like the world's largest candy cane or you like, you made a giant <laughs> candy cane or something. And I was like, the, yeah, the, that was uh, the annual holiday show uh, that KCET, PBS uh, broadcasts here every every Christmas. Yeah, I went to my hometown of uh, Ontario, California, the Logan's Candy Store, which is still there and has been since 1933. And you go there and you watch them make candy. It's like super old timey, old school, the real deal, the real deal kind of candy store. It's a destination. People come from all over to go there. And they made like the world's largest candy cane in there. They usually make candy canes that are like, 
you know, this big or this big or this big or this big or this big, but they made the this most big giant one you ever saw in your life. And yeah, Logan's Candies, Ontario, California. Yes, I'm a big fan, big fan, big fan. Here's a question I had. Why is the like retro culture in LA so strong, do you think? You know, that's a very, very, very good question. Um, you know... I don't know. I don't know why here. I mean, yeah. I guess because, you know, I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay, now I, I had to think for a second. You know, it's because we have a lot of people in this town. This is a very creative town. Creative industries are massively represented here in Southern California. And it's an educated crowd in the, in the world of art and design. I mean, a lot of people here have studied that topic. And therefore, they're able to understand style guides and then there are all of these like kind of like these groups of people who like to like the rockabilly group yeah. um, or the tiki crowd um, and, and, you know, or the Art Deco Society or the, I don't know, they're the Pirate Festival at Catalina Island or whatever. <laughs> I mean, like, all these like kind of themed, you know, fetish themes, themed fetishes or whatever. I mean, people like to dress up. I saw two people dressed as the Joker and Harley Quinn just the other day walking down the street, <laughs> walking yeah. through Beverly Hills. Welcome to Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood. We are a very theatrical society here. We make theater. We make TV. I mean, that is something it's, it's, you know, it's not completely based here, obviously, right. but in large part it is. And we have a massive history of theater in this town, Hollywood. I mean, we don't even think about what a massive influence Hollywood has been on so many aspects of our environment. That's sort of the consensus we agreed on, like, because we're always trying to figure out why Burbank is the way it is. And that's <laughs> well, always how is Burbank? Like, <laughs> like a paradise of Halloween and like, I won't use the word 1950s, but like mid-century stuff. Like, it's just a perfect haven of that. And we've sort of agreed that it's like, it's because of all the people who who were working in movies were living in Burbank. Well, you know, you're, you're in part very correct. I mean, you know, everywhere has a microculture. Every, every area of town has the there there's and everything. I mean, neighborhoods. Burbank is one of my favorite places in all of this vast metropolis that we live in. Burbank is rare. Burbank is in its own universe, in its own world, and it kind of doesn't know the rest of the world exists. But yes, <laughs> there's a very theatrical society in Burbank, in part because, I mean, there's a lot of availability of the goods there. You mentioned the Halloween shops. I mean, they're the best Halloween shops there are. And there's uh, some vintage clothing stores there and some kind of retro clothing stores there. Um, there's Baron's hats, which makes all the, the old school hats. But, you know, let's keep in mind, yes, we've got Nickelodeon is there. Cartoon Network is there. Disney is there. Yeah. These are people who are very interested in theater. And so they themselves also, not only do they go to work at the studio and draw and create and do all these, make all these characters and stuff and everything else they do in stories, but they want to live it themselves. So that's there's a market for it there. And it, it happens to be a center of that kind of theatrical costumery. Thank you. I said costumery. <laughs> and another great place for vintage is Long Beach, Retro yeah. Road, 4th Street. Yeah, those, those storefronts are unlike anything else I've ever seen. I mean, like the collection of them, it's just like, what, one or two blocks, but it's like, oh, th this is so concentrated on one idea of like a, a subculture that it, it it's so pure everybody's yeah, just there I mean, yeah. it really is so i mean i i love it myself i'm kind of i like the vintage style i mm. i you know i'll tell you i don't wear hoodies <laughs> oh, and i'll tell you why that was my next question i fear them i fear if i put one on i will never want to wear anything else <laughs> yeah so yeah I mean, they're very comfortable a hoodie that i wear when i walk when it's cold but that kind of doesn't count because uh, yeah, yeah. your walking, walking fashion is like, <laughs> you know, when I go out, I kind of, I, I don't want to wear a hoodie yet because then I'll just only want to wear hoodies and that, that'll yeah. be the fashion for the rest of my life. I, if I saw Charles Phoenix walking down the street, I would not want to see, I would want to see, I would want to see what I expect Charles Phoenix to be wearing walking down the street. <laughs> I try to sport looks. I like to buy my clothes. I mean, I have a couple of, I like to buy my clothes at Sneaky Tiki in Long Beach. Oh, right. It's kind of like they have vintage style new and then they have the genuine authentic. Wait, vintage style. Yeah, new, new vintage, style. The vintage style, but really well done. And yeah. they have the vintage stuff as well. So I like to shop at Sneaky Tiki. That's in Long Beach on Retro Row. Also, there's a great bar down there called The Pipe. Have you guys been there? 
it's kind no, of no, but I remember hearing um, about I've it. Nineties, late eighties, nineties, like punk rock meets like a seashore classic. <laughs> street seashore. Can't say seashore. <laughs> we should have done our vocal warm ups before this. <laughs> style, you know, boating style, nautical, nautical. That's right, nautical. There we go. It's like punk we'll rock go for it. It's nautical, which is kind of wonderful. You guys been to the Chowder Barge in Wilmington? No. So the chowder? floating restaurant? No. No. Oh yeah, the Chowder Barge. It's hard to find, but use your map quest or whatever it is. You look use on the water. Um, you'll probably get lost, but you'll find it. It's okay. hard to get to. It's in the middle of the uh, harbor, LA Harbor. And what I've been told is the low rent district, but who cares because we're not yeah. judging at all. Why would we? Um, yeah. I'm not a snob either. I was born and raised on a used car lot. So um, anyway, <laughs> what I was going to say was, yeah, the chowder barge. I'm all about relishing places that are unique and one of a kind also places that have a story to tell places that when you walk in the door you have to ask yourself what decade are we in speaking (laughs) of burbank have you been to monte carlo pinocchio yes yes yeah i mean that place is one of a kind there's not another place it's an italian market a classic old school genuine authentic italian market when you walk in the door i mean you again you ask yourself what decade are we decade (laughs) are we in and then next right you know there with it is the hot table uh they serve food they serve all the classic italian dishes and sandwiches and everything i'll tell you you know i didn't start out my life eating meatball sandwiches but i've ended up my life eating <laughs> you're pretty good sandwiches places and they have the best meatball sandwich not to mention the fact that one is big enough for two people a and b you know i'm sorry but i don't think i'm the only one now that nowadays gosh uh, i'm really like conscientious of how much everything is costing and, and yeah. going out to dinner now. And so it's a bargain. It is a bargain. Yeah. Really this is. is this is a, a f- complaint I have every night of the week is how expensive everything is right now. <laughs> I mean, it's now become a luxury of where you know I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not like saying to say I'm trying to say things are going downhill or anything like right, that. Right, right. It's not me because I'm I'm an optimist. I was born an optimist. I will find the beauty. I will find the good. I will find the love. I will find the joy. But I will tell you, it has become the reality of like, okay, well, we're not just going to be going out every night. Yeah. Yeah. I know how to make up recipes. <laughs> and I will be asking you about that later. But a $22 medium cheese pizza is that's unacceptable. You guys, you want to talk about the my favorite place to have pizza in all of Los Angeles land yes. is absolutely without a doubt Folly Arrows in Highland Park on Figueroa. Folly Arrows, they've been there since 1968. It's the same old grandpas that are working there. I swear, I've been going there for 25 years and they are all still there. None of them have aged a day. In 20 and they're, they're, not, they're not that friendly. They're actually grumpy and that's fine. Yeah. Because when we go out to eat and people are serving us food, it's not about, you know, this is not a Miss Congeniality contest. This is not Miss America or Miss Universe or Miss USA. No, it's like uh, someone bringing you food to the table. You treat them respectfully. And they're they're grumpy. They never smile. But uh, lately, they started to smile a little more. But Bali Arrows <laughs> is delicious. I will tell you. Also, seriously, not joking around. Absolutely, the lowest prices in town. It's insane. Oh. They think it's 1992 there. So, <laughs> I don't like a lot of stuff on my pizza. I'm not that person. I'm a little bit of a purist. I don't want every 98 things on there. I just yeah, want to. Yeah. They have the best cheese and sausage pizza in town. Really? Maybe you're a vegetariana. Uh, the cheese with um, basil or whatever is delicious. Mm-hmm. If you're a vegan, just get the crust and the sauce. If you are, <laughs> no, I'm serious. They have the best sauce. That's huh. to me. Pizza is about two things. Uh, three things. Sorry, three. <laughs> it's about three things, and everything else is extra and and just kind of forget about it. It's about the the crust. It's right. about the sauce, and it's about the cheese. Yeah. That's pizza. I mean, all that other crap that you put on it. Whatever. I a hundred percent agree. I I am <laughs> I am, I am only. I mean, maybe I'll get like mushroom every once in a while, but I Pray cheese pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll shake a can out uh, on my own, <laughs> but I got a. I this I, even before you got to how good and affordable it is, you had me at two old grandpas selling pizza, <laughs> and I was ready well, to go. Well, there's there. more than two of them. But they're grumpy. They're grumpy old men, and I love it. They're they're yeah. they're beautiful people. They really are. They're very dedicated to their work. They're very focused. They're very centered, and they make a, an, a beautiful, delicious, traditional 
product that they've been doing since 1968. And that is R E S P E C T <laughs> from me. You were selling it hard right now. I feel like I'm sweating from need, like pizza need right now. <laughs> I, I think I might go, I might leave this interview a little bit early and just go straight to Highland Park. I know. It's so good. I love pizza. I really do. But I don't <laughs> eat it that much because I, oh, I tend to be an overeater. And it's like, unless I've eaten half the pizza, I don't feel like. <laughs> two pieces are enough. We've already kind of got into, but I wanted to ask you, I want to know all time and still existing of just like the great Los Angeles retro places. I mean, that you can still have. I mean, year by year, we lose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there are so many. I mean, we live in a wonderland to discover. And there's something interesting around every corner, no matter where you go. But I'm going to start with something that I find very, very important and very misunderstood. And that is, well, okay, well, I mean, how much time do we have? Where do we, go? <laughs> Where do we begin? First of all, my, I think the greatest commercial, or well, let's say retail building of the 20th century, absolutely in history, will go down in history at Randy's Donuts, which is by oh, LA. Yes, Randy's big donut. Donuts <laughs> is the one with the big giant donut on the, on, okay, you know, sitting up there on top. That is the most important retail commercial structure of the 20th century. You mark my word, that will go down in history. And that's not even a joke. That's real. I love that. And there were nine of them built originally. There were nine that were called the Big Donut Drive-In. It was started in 1951. And uh, I'm not sure that one might be 1952 or something, but it is a mid-century modern masterpiece of the absolute highest order. Everything about that building is perfect. The design of it, the efficiency of it, the icon, I, I can't even speak, iconography of it. I never say that word. I don't know why I just said that. I don't <laughs> yeah, know what fine. iconography means. <laughs> there are certain words I don't use. I don't use like programmatic architecture either. Because <laughs> no one knows what that means. I don't even know. <laughs> no. But I love giant things. I also love miniature things. Miniature golf. You want to talk about miniature oh, yeah. golf? The most beautiful miniature golf course in the Western Hemisphere is in Norwalk, which is next door to Downey, which is 12 miles from downtown Los Angeles. And that is called Golf and Stuff. In the city of Norwalk, right now you can go there. And this place is an exquisite menagerie of all of the classic castle, the windmill, the big shoe, all that, plus a spellbinding world-class garden where nothing is out of place. And this, this topiary garden is there where they have these like arched cypress trees that they've been grafted together. It is absolutely world-class in every way, every day. Also, there's a barbecue joint in Bellflower. Yeah, I go to the Burbs. <laughs> I go to the Burbs a lot. Someone has to. I mean, I also like to go to in town as well, but I'm also a bird person. Bellflower. Have you ever even heard of Bellflower? It's north of Long Beach by Lakewood. Chris and Pitt's Barbecue. Chris and Pitt's has been serving barbecue in Southern California since 1949. They opened this store in 1961, and it is painted like a faux log cabin, and it is a masterpiece. The faux painting on the exterior of the building, it's like Walt Disney quality. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's called Chris and Pitts. That's in Bellflower. Now, the greatest... Yeah, sorry. Am I going on too much? No, 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 no. no. I was gonna, I was just going to say that I've, I've seen a shirt, but I was trying to like, how do I know Chris and Pitts? I'm just trying to like wrap my brain around it. Well, Chris and Pitts is a brand you might know from the uh, barbecue sauce aisle at the supermarket. They <laughs> oh, also bottle and sell their barbecue sauce, and they have for decades. Like Bob's Big Boy Salad Dressing. It's right. kind of like that. Yeah, Chris and Pitts barbecue sauce. It's the barbecue sauce I was raised on, but they also have freestanding restaurants. Uh, Downey, there's one. Bellflower, there's one. And I think there's one in Whittier still. They used to have more of restaurants, but now they only have three. But the one to go to is Bellflower, Chris and Pitts, Bellflower, Chris and Pitts. Go there, go there, go there. It's classic old school diner. I mean, like you'll you'll have, like the last time I was there, I mean, you never know what kind of a server you're going to get. I mean, we used to call them like waitresses, but you can't call them <laughs> server you're going to get. Last time there was like this... I don't know. She's, I thought she was like 20. She said, oh, I'm 37. I've worked here since I was 18. I mean, and she's like, you know, adorable and nice and sweet. We had a wonderful experience there, of course. You know, there's so much love and joy and soul in these mom and pop restaurants. I avoid the chains like the play because I like uniqueness. I like mm-hmm. things you can't, ex- I mean, one of a kind experiences. I also love the tradition of these places yeah. and what's unique about these places. Another place to go is the ultimate in the realm of car culture, which I'm really big into car <laughs> culture. The ultimate drive through experience in the world is out in the Burbs, La Puente. It's just beyond West Covina or south of West Covina. 
It's called the donut hole, and you actually drive through <laughs> yes. the donut. You've been <laughs> yeah. In that video that I sent you, we we went to uh, La Puente to represent it. It was the donut hole. Yeah, that's it's the beautiful only place in the world. You drive through what you order <laughs> to get there. So I mean, that's genius. I mean, that that is that's a destination. I mean, anytime anybody comes to visit from anywhere in the world, one of the places I'm definitely taking them is well. We're going to the donut hole. <laughs> Put on your donutting glasses. <laughs> Absolutely. Take your whatever, whatever medicines you need. <laughs> Is there any, uh, I just, you know, we were talking about stuff that we're losing year by year. We just lost hot dog, the original hot dog in a stick oh, shack. Yeah. Is there anywhere that you were going through photos of in old LA that you're like, oh, I wish I could have gone to Chip's coffee shop. Or well, I wish let I me tell you to... something. There's a book. My favorite <laughs> book in the world has been for 30 years now. It's called California Crazy. And it is a book. It's a giant book now. I mean, they've kind of upped every time they come out with a new... It's a fashion book. Every time they've come out with a new volume up, they have more and more and more. And it's by an author who's a hero of mine named Jim Hyman. And he's written a lot of books, some lately, the last you know, 10 years or whatever, mostly published by Tashin. But um, it's a book about things with giant things, like the donut <laughs> is one of them. But there used to be a million of those kind of places yeah. in LA, starting like in the 20s. And so it's all about, you know, Brown Derby of Southern California and giant things on tops of buildings to represent where you're going to eat there or the building and the shape of it or whatever. But what, are there anything, did you say any place I'd like to go back to? I mean, that's, that's like the, we'll be here until eternity. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had gotten to, cause we did a thing on the chicken boy statue a while back and I wish oh, I had been, chicken boy, the statue. Yeah. Still. I but mean, the chicken place is gone. The statue was the there, there, there chicken boy <laughs> is uh, actually, he started his life as one of those giant muffler men. You know right, the muffler right, men, right. they hold up the muffler? Yeah. So yeah. the muffler men were made in Venice, California between about 62 and 72. And over the years, they took on a lot of... You've seen that. There's a couple of them around town still, but... Um, they're holding like a giant, golf club. <laughs> yeah, right. Either holding a golf club or they held different things depending on whatever the business was. But yeah. they yeah. were big like, you know, eye grabbers for different businesses. But the reason they'd be called muffler men is because the biggest order ever came from a muffler company. <laughs> wanted to put them outside their muffler shop. So yeah, those every one of those is a mid-century modern masterpiece, not to mention world-class national treasure. I'm all about kind of raising the awareness of, you know, how significant all of what we're talking about is. You know, it's important, it's interesting, it's unique, and it's a source of pride. It's a source of pride. I mean, I don't mean to get too serious, but let's be real about it. I mean, Randy's Donuts is an icon. Yeah. It's an icon. It, it, and not to mention, it's ours. <laughs> we part own it, the three of us. <laughs> we do. We own it. We own part of its culture because we are of that culture. So this is something extraordinary. Like if you lived in India, you might say, I mean, you know, I've never been to India. So respectfully, I say this, but you know, like, oh, the Taj Mahal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's here within, it's here within our bits. So we are right. part of it. Right. I mean, that's famous. Well, we, they have the Taj Mahal. We have Randy's Donuts. Also another place, <laughs> absolutely so underrated that I could burst out in tears right now. And I'm going to have a moment. So I don't. <laughs> the world's oldest McDonald's. I don't care if you like their hamburgers or not. The yeah. world's oldest McDonald's is absolutely, in no uncertain terms, a world-class, well, it's a mid-century modern masterpiece. And yes. I mean, again, an icon. And it's yeah. such a beautiful structure as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mid-century modern masterpiece. And we get it. <laughs> we have it. We have it. We again, have it. a source of pride. I don't, as I said, or maybe I didn't, whether you like their hamburgers or not, you know those french fries are good. So you know, <laughs> ultimately, what we're looking for in these places are not so much, I mean, on and beyond, like, wow, look at that. That's cool to look at. It's cool yeah. to, to go there and, and, and have their product. But what's the story? Yeah. You know, how did this come to be? How did this thing that is so unique happen? You know, what's, what's the story of it? So, you know, when I went to Randy's Donuts, I'm on um, 2012 or 11. You know, it's recently about the last five, six, seven years now, if, if some company bought it, I don't know who they are, but they're now expanding and building other Randy's Donuts everywhere. Right. Uh, they did build another big donut, a big giant donut on the roof at the new Downing store. Okay. And, uh, but it's not quite as big as the one the, um, <laughs> by LAX, but it's almost as big. And it's shocking. Yeah. But most cities won't let them build the donut. <laughs> what? Why not? You know, I don't know. 
I don't know. It's a safety hazard. <laughs> I would want to climb on it. If I if, if I had a donut, a big donut near me, I would definitely want to climb it. I'd find a way to climb it. Well, they opened yeah. one. I think they wait. No, maybe they didn't. But I thought they opened one at City Walk. But they probably, probably. But it doesn't have a big donut. I think no. it might have like a neon sign of a donut, but it's yeah, not. Probably. like yeah, not well, thing. I wanted to. This is what I wanted to ask you was with like we were talking about all these things going away. What is the city losing when it loses like hot dog on a stick or what, what when these things it's start going losing, away? Losing, losing uh, a story. It's losing. It's losing a, uh, a link to our culture. It's losing uniqueness. You know, I mean, don't get me started on you know, them tearing down hot dog on a stick. I mean, granted, it was just a little, the simplest, the absolute simplest, most utilitarian style building that you ever have seen in your life. But still, I mean, why doesn't hot dog on a stick care about its own style guide, its own history? I mean, they don't seem to. I went to the hot dog on a stick in the Glendale Galleria and no more stripes, that famous oh, stripe pattern they had. It's all painted really? all red That's now. That's like, like their whole want, thing. We want you to be who you are. We don't want you to be like everybody else. We, I mean, like the evolution of McDonald's turning into wanting to turn into Starbucks. <laughs> McDonald's was king until Starbucks came along. And now McDonald's says, okay, well, we'll make it look like Starbucks because people perceive that as more like, you know, elegant or whatever, yeah. you know, aspirational. And, you know, I mean, I'm not talking trash about Starbucks. I mean, whatever. I'm also a realist and nothing lasts forever. And if you want to, if you want these places to stay, you have to go there. Yeah. There's math involved. <laughs> yeah. There's math involved. And the, that math is the economy of the place. So you can't just drive by that old hamburger stand and go, I love it. I love it. I love it. You got to go there and eat. If you're a vegetarian, then order the darn French fries. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Get the onion rings. I mean, gosh. I was driving around just yesterday and we passed by, I don't even remember what it's called, but you know that, uh, that is it called the West Side Pavilion that's now like an Apple headquarters or something near the Apple Pan, not related to Apple computers. But (laughs) there was a deli right over there that was really nice and it's now closed. And we are thinking there's probably like four delis left well, in Los yeah. Angeles. I mean, Cantor's is an absolute must. You have not done LA until you've done Cantor's. Cantor's, Cantor's, Cantor's <laughs> on Fairfax in the heart of town. Also, I love Farmer's Market, 3rd and Fairfax. Yes. I mean, that's the layers of time kind of place. I love yeah. looking through the layers of time. I love experiencing the layers of time. And, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it's what's unique. And again, we go back to what are we losing when we lose these places? We're losing our culture and we're like, you know, morphing into, you know, being more like every other city or, you know, (laughs) I want to, when I travel somewhere, I'm not going to see what I can see in my own town. I want to see what's unique there. And so luckily we still do have a lot of unique places in LA. Have you been to Sileto or Sileto? I never can say it right. Salito Lindo, which is oh. also on Alvera Street. I mean, go to Alvera Street, Philippe's, yeah. for a French dip, a bowl. Again, you want a bargain? The bowl of stew at Philippe's, it's $4.95, and it's like unbelievably delicious. It's not a gravy beef stew. It's a brothy beef stew, but if you eat beef, it's so good. And also, <laughs> um, yeah, Alvera Street is fun. Little Tokyo is amazing. Um, let's go to... Um, Oh, well, old Chinatown or any part of Chinatown. I mean, let's just go anywhere. There's stuff <laughs> everywhere. You've got to open your eyes and you've got to be willing to try new places. I'm all about going to the classic places. I want to walk in the door, as I may have said earlier, and go, what decade are we in? Vince's Spaghetti yeah. in Ontario, my hometown. They've been serving spaghetti since 1945. When you walk in the door, when you, when you drive in the parking lot, you're like, okay, we are on... <laughs> We're in Vince's land. <laughs> Spaghetti everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I want a style guide. I want an ambiance. I want an experience. Everyone wants to make their brand famous. And so yeah. in order to do that, you got to create a style guide. Me and Greg and our our significant others have been on a, for years, like a series of going to the classic restaurants in LA. The last one we did was, I think, the Pacific Dining Car. Yeah. Which I'm so and glad we, we did in. because then yeah. the pandemic happened. Happen and it's gone. It's- I'll never forget. I went to uh, when I went there. I mean, I'm sounding like a tightwad. I'm really not, but uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. I, the first time I ever went to the Pacific Dining Car, it was probably 20 years ago. 
And it was like at two o'clock in the morning and I had an omelet and the omelet was $14. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. $14 for an omelet. I mean, I said it to myself, inner dialogue. <laughs> right. But I just like, it was so shocking. Now, like $14 for an omelet. By the way, speaking of omelets, the best and one of the most reasonable breakfasts in Los Angeles is at Philippe's downtown. Oh, yeah. They have an amazing breakfast. Amazing everything there. I'm such a big fan of Philippe's. And talking about being surprised by a bill, I think you, Daniel, and I went to the Fountain Coffee Shop in uh, the Beverly Hills Hotel. Oh, the yeah. Little, the, the one yeah. that's left over from whatever decade they built that. And, uh, oh, we're going to have a great time. I think the coffee was like six fifty or some crazy. <laughs> and like, and oh, this was like God. seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the little coffee shop in the Beverly Hills Hotel. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's worth it just to experience the ambiance there, the yeah. style guide. Yeah. I mean, the Beverly Hills Hotel was built originally in 1912, and then it was redone uh, in 1949. And basically, it retains that 1949 classic Beverly Hills resorty style yeah, guide. Yeah. And that's a beautiful little tiny, it's basically a little a counter that you eat. Yeah, yeah, I could barely fit inside of that place. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I couldn't either. And, but I love it. And then also another place that I love is Pans, P-A-N-S oh, by yeah. LAX, 1958. It's the greatest Googie style coffee shop, not Google, Googie. <laughs> it's a, you know, a very extreme mid-century style um, that's based in Southern California. Googie really, to me, is uh, the only original Southern California architectural style. We did not invent yeah any other architectural style here but googie is something we can own and say is it's basically the brainchild mostly of one architectural firm Arme and davis that still exists to this day they did pans they did norms on la cienega pans is 1958 norms is 1957 and there's a brand new book that just came out about first ever the architecture of Arme and davis uh, granddaddy yeah, really? googie it's by alan hess who's another hero of mine and it's fantastic. So I highly recommend going on Amazon.com and buying everything. I love Pans so much. I know. It's, it's still owned by the same family. The son of the original great. owner still owns it. I mean, homespun and family run, there is nothing <laughs> that beats that. That's heart and soul right there. Yeah. You know how hard of a community, I mean, hard it is to survive in the restaurant business now. Oh, yeah. and the economy of restaurants is really difficult. And that's yeah. why they are going away more and more and more and more and more. I mean, we have so many less restaurants that we did. I mean, fast food. I'm not, I mean, where you sit down and get served, that model is diminishing year by year, smaller and smaller. Coffee shops used to be everywhere. I mean, diners, they used to be uh, called diners, then they were called coffee shops, and then they were called <laughs> diners again. They're really <laughs> rare. That's another during the pandemic, four and twenty blackbirds closed down. And that was that hurt me more than so many other things that happened in the past two years. The four and twenty was legendary in Van Eyes. I believe they started in nineteen sixty-eight. They were uh, four and plenty refers to, I guess, the what is it, a nursery rhyme about yeah. pies. And they and made, like pies. they bake birds in a pie. That made pies. I'll tell you, there's a couple left. One of the best diners that makes pies, well, pie and burger in Pasadena. Right. right. Yeah, perfect. Pie and burger in Pasadena. Pie and burger in Pasadena. Pie and burger in Pasadena. <laughs> I mean, it's really a time capsule. Yeah. Another it's tiny world place. Class. World class. class. That's the it thing is. about these places. When, you know, you've got something so unique, so rare with such a rich story to tell of a family run homespun business, that is world class. It doesn't mm -hmm. get better than that. Because you it's not better at Del Taco. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, a family owns it, I guess. No, a family doesn't own Delta. Yeah, I guess so. A, co a company owns it. that is loving every moment, punching away at every mom and pop stand yeah. or there is. You know, they have that power because they have the, it's the economy of a business like that. And those, these mom and pops are fighting for their lives. I don't mean to be overly dramatic, but that's the fact. I mean, they've been in the munchbox in um, yeah. Chatsworth. I just went there like a month ago. The Munchbox, just the name alone. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's like where do we begin? I know. <laughs> I mean, we love it, of course. And then also in the Valley, Lido Pizza is a yeah. Place. You go there. Also, have you been to Daglas for the French fries? I was just yes. there. We ate there last week. We got the fries last week, and then hot dogs at Cupid's. <laughs> so you guys, by the way, I have to say, I'm so impressed because you know it's it's kind of rare 
to meet people who can really talk about this stuff and who have really been to these places. Yeah. Is there a place that you don't know about that you, that you want to ask me, have you been to where I heard about X place, whatever, and maybe I've been there. Uh, is it Clearman's? Clearman's in, uh, was in. You've never been there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there one, one time and I thought I had <laughs> He's walking out, right? Walking <laughs> out. He's showing walking us a picture out. of baloney. I'm walking out. He's That's playing baloney. the baloney card. <laughs> That's baloney that you've never been there. Oh, Clearman's Northwoods Inn. Um, there are three of them. Um, there's one. They're built in 1958. It's a giant log cabin, like lodge structure that is Right. Real logs, real the real deal, real stained glass, real crystal chandeliers. Yeah. Everything is real there. It is an amazing style guide, an amazing ambiance, an amazing experiential environmental extravaganza. <laughs> Northwoods in Pavina, um, Rosemead near Pasadena, yeah. and La Mirada. So yes, you go there, and um, they're famous for their cheese bread. Which, by the way, don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't even like get started on it except for like three pieces because you can really eat a hundred pieces of it. It's so and then the, the other thing they're famous for is there's two salads they serve you family style before the dinner. You oh, get, like this red cabbage slaw, which sounds terrible, but is delicious. <laughs> I mean, I don't really think a red cabbage is something I really want to eat, but there it's so good that you just want a thousand gallons of it. And then um, also this, all it is, the other... Uh, the other salad they serve at Northwoods Inn is iceberg lettuce drenched, drowning in the most delicious blue cheese salad dressing you've ever had. And so when you mix those two things together, it's like delicious and eat cheese bread. I mean, you could pass. <laughs> yeah, you have to go there. You have to go there. You have to go there. That sounds delicious. It is. I never say delicious and salad is never the thing that I say that's delicious too, but you're, you're really selling the no, salad. It right is. Now. I mean, it's savory. Like, I mean, it's hyper, hyper flavor. So it's been, I mean, it's been popular since 1958 so it's it's proven again when you go there you're not only you're having you're making a memory you're experiencing history you're experiencing a tradition you're experiencing a microculture so this is not just we're going out to eat right we're yeah. creating we're having a memory right. we're having an experience yeah i have been to this place before it closed but had you ever been to twain's on twain's well formerly at denny's yes oh was it <laughs> that building is our man davis we just talked about them they really that is a googie architecture yeah, Twain's. Actually, I never did go to Twain's, I don't think, but I passed by it about 900 million times. I'm formerly a Denny's. Denny's started in Lakewood in 1953 as Danny's. Right. Um, but then they changed the name to Denny's, not to be confused with the then coffee shop chain that also existed at the time, Coffee Dan. Yeah, that place was because it was 24. Like, that's another thing that's going away is 24 hour places. Absolutely, because the drive through industry has taken over. I mean, yeah. uh, I guess, you know, Tell Taco. Are they still open 24 hours? I don't know. Probably. I feel like all of them are. I know Taco Bell has a lot of commercials about how late they're open. (laughs) Well, that's that's the business. That's the economy. That's the economy. Taco Bell can afford to stay open all night long, but these other places can't. They just, the economy, the economics have shifted in such a way that it's just no longer feasible. When me and Greg used to do stand-up comedy and we'd be out till whenever and it's there's nothing better than like it's one in the morning let's go sit at a 24-hour place and discuss how badly we did on stage (laughs) or how well Uh, the the rare occasion that we did i don't know i don't know what that experience is like (laughs) well you know it's it's important for us creative type people to be kind to ourselves (laughs) right i have to remind myself every day stop being such a harsh critic of yourself your best fan yeah yeah daniel it's hard (laughs) i i i'm like my harshest critic when i think that i'd probably do better if i could train my brain to do a flip yeah yeah my biggest fan yeah i'm like that's terrible and i always think about what i did wrong not what i did right you know yeah that's the dumbest way to live (laughs) really dumb that's like being your that's like well it's like turning on yourself well if it helps i think everything you do is right <laughs> if that helps you at all. <laughs> Speaking of one thing that you do very right, this is this is the last written question I have. Yes. But I wanted to ask you about the chirpumple. The chirpumple is a pie stuffed cake that I invented. Uh, <laughs> it's a chirpumple, cherry pumpkin and apple. Those are the oh, yeah. pies stuffed into three layers of cake. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean the reason I invented the pie stuffed cake is to save paper plates at our at our holiday. <laughs> 
Really? I mean, long story short, there was always a cherry pie, always an apple pie, always a pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. And then my mother always made this cake. Well, before that, my grandmother made this cake, which had one spice layer and one white layer. And then everyone wanted a sliver of everything. So I thought, wait a minute, we're wasting too many paper plates because we're not like a China family. Um, So it's like, wait a minute, you guys, look at the tower of paper plates here. This is so what a green family. I said, next year, we're going to have all the desserts together as one. And we're all going to get one sliver instead of a sliver of everything on 98 different plates. You did it as a favor to the planet. Yeah, exactly. So that's how the triple was invented. How do you do, how do you like, how do you bake a pie into three pies into a cake? Well, it's simple. You get your pies, your Sara Lee pies from the grocery Mm -hmm. store and um, which are actually kind of delicious. Yeah. Yeah. You go on there and you go there and you bake them and then you um, let them sit and kind of firm up a little bit like overnight. And then you um, put a little bit of uh, batter in a uh, cake pan. And then you very carefully flip off, flip the pie over on a plate, peel off the tin very carefully, put another plate on the bottom of that, flip it like that. And then you slide the pie right into the batter and then pour more batter on top of it. And then you bake it. And the pie has no idea that it's been baked twice. (laughs) And then you let that firm up, put it in the refrigerator. So that layer with the cake layer with the pie in it, three of them, they all firm up. And then you stack and frost with cream cheese frosting. And if when you serve it, that you're, if it hemorrhages, fails, falls, or otherwise collapses, that's part of the beauty of it all. <laughs> I would give so much to have a, a slice of, of this. It's this really good. Asking? You'd be surprised how well the pie and the cake go together as one. I would. Uh, I believe. I have. I've dreamed about this for for so long. Really, I would. Oh, it sounds good. so good. It is good, and I will tell you though. I will. I will. If you ever make one and you serve it to company and you tell them what it is. And um, then you, you have to cut a whole quarter out of the cake to show them what it is. <laughs> Trust me, there are several people that will run away screaming. Like, it's too much. <laughs> I invented that like 12, 13 years ago already. And it's still overwhelming to people. But collectively as a society, we're kind of like more able to take it now. But people ran away we weren't ready. But, but I will tell you, they always come back. <laughs> peeking back into the room. They do. True innovator. <laughs> do you have any more? Those are all my questions, Greg. That's everything I had for Mr. Charles Phoenix. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, gentlemen, what a pleasure. I cannot think. Yeah, this is this is so exciting. We've been talking about like, I wonder if we we could ever interview Charles Phoenix. Like for years, we've been talking about <laughs> well, you that. You know what the reality is, you guys? Never be afraid to ask. You know, you would be surprised. Yeah. You'd be surprised. And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I mean, that's the thing. We're so afraid of failure that we often don't take chances. And taking chances is about getting in focus. And, you know, when you're in focus, you can connect with the world. There you go. 